Right then, how are you all doing? Hope you're doing well. Um, it's going to be my birthday this week, which I'm not that excited about because, you know, it's just another birthday. But what do you buy age-appropriate for a 49-year-old man? Well, I've already had one gift of my new daughter-in-law, my son, my eldest son, and I had a nutcracker-themed rug runner for my hallway, and I am delighted with it. It is really nice. Open the front door, nutcracker-themed rug, Christmas is coming. Isn't that nice? You talk about festivity and whether you, you know, I am a little bit. I just had a little bit of a preamble before I talk. If you join us online this morning, a very warm welcome to you. If you're visiting this morning, it's great to see you. Hope you feel at home with us. It's really good. I don't be you, but what is on your desk? I was interested in what you were talking about earlier, Chloe, about what is on your desk. I got um, a little coaster to put my mug on. I got a metallic rule, 150 milli millimeters, which is very handy for drawing lines, measuring things. And also, you know, when you've got like an awkward bit of something under your nail, you can just flick it out with that. And also, it loosens staples. You know, when you staple something on the squiff, and you think, I need to re-staple that, I use that little ruler to get the whole staple out and do it properly the next time. So that's just on my desk. We're all different, are we? Some of us have starfish on our desks. Some of us have coasters and practical things to do our jobs as well, or whatever it is that's going on in life. Now then... Please quickly turn to the person next to you, and what is on your desk? No, I'm only joking, don't do that. Right then, so, if you join us for the first time, we are mid-series of the Esther series. Esther is a great story in the Bible, teaches us lots and lots about the character of God, about honouring God with our lives and doing the right thing at the right time. So we shall crack on with the talk, all right? I'm now going to put my reading glasses on, and off we go. Are you ready? Are you ready for action? Is anyone here like feeling half asleep at the moment? Well, you're not going to be in a few seconds' time. You're going to be wide awake, ready for action, all right? So, King Xerxes, the Persian Empire, very successful king, a huge, massive empire, very powerful, very wealthy. Queen Vashti, his wife, the queen, humiliates him, and she gets sacked as a person and as a position. So she's gone. I'm doing a little recap here, okay? Esther, meanwhile, as we learned last week, has been taken away. She's in captivity. And she now becomes, through various sequences of events, part of the lineup of being the new queen. The potential is there. We find out as we read and learn more in the story that Esther has great qualities. She has a great character. She looks great. And she has a depth of character that attracts people and attracts the king, and she becomes the new queen. She has humility, but she has strength. She has depth of character. Today's talk is the tale of two men. The tale of two men. We're going to be talking about Mordecai, Esther's relative, and Haman, King Xerxes' highly esteemed official. Now, I have no idea if they looked anything like this. I was struggling. Who do you come up with as a face for Mordecai? Who do you come up with for a face for Haman? I went online, looked at YouTube, found a Bible film. I'd look at Mordecai. I'd look at Haman. I thought, yeah, that looks all right. Got a snapshot. Okay, Bob's your uncle. So whoever the director and the producers were of that film, I'm trusting that they've got it fairly right. Okay, we got it. The guy on the left is Mordecai, the guy on the right is Haman. He looks angry and mean, the guy on the left looks nice, isn't he? Pastoral, caring. Got it? Right, that's the talk finished. See you next week. Now then, 
the thing about Mordecai, let's have a little look about Mordecai and his character. Well, Mordecai turns challenges into opportunity. Anyone here had challenges in life? Anyone who had many challenges in life? I have. But what we find out with Mordecai, he can turn challenges into opportunities. His aunt and his uncle passed away, and he adopts their daughter, his cousin Esther. And we read that he treats her like his own daughter. He has taken on board the pastoral, the care, the love for this person who has lost their parents. And he now represents the love and the care of a father. And he speaks out words of love, compassion, advice throughout Esther's life. As we read the whole story of Esther, we see Mordecai is a constant in Esther's life. He's willing to take responsibility. He's willing to take on the care. And he continues to chat and advise her. There's this humility, this this mentorship, and this help. Any of us to flourish in life, it is so good to have someone in our lives, in our life's journey, who can mentor us and help us and shape us. And there's this consistency of relationship, of kindness, of grace, of love. When the mistakes are made, they're there to help us up. And this kind of stuff. So Mordecai, we read, has this character about him. And we find out that he has an official position amongst the Jewish captives. And he's in, well, he's around the palace. So he has leadership qualities. He has this standing in the community that, yeah, he is someone to be uh, respected and and looked upon for for leadership and, and help and guidance. So there's a key event which has knock-on consequences <clears throat> later in life. And we read it here from Esther 2, 21. And I'm going to read it in my best Lanetli accent, right? So some of the syllables may be pronounced. Whenever you're reading these old-school names, it's very difficult to get the pronunciation right. So I'm going to give it a go. Anyway, during the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Thunder and Terry Shh, Two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found out to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. Oof! Now that's going to hurt in the morning, is it not? There is no amount of germaline that is going to fix that. You are definitely going to get an infection. So this is a serious key event in the story of Mordecai, right? And there's knock-on consequences to it as we read further on and find out more in the series. So what has happened here? So these guys, they've festered anger and they've got something against the king. And this has now led them into danger because their plan has been found out. And it's Mordecai who's in the right place at the right time. You know, is this a God opportunity Do we ever find ourselves in the right place at the right time to bring something of God into a situation? And Mordecai hears the facts. It's very good to know the facts in life rather than hearsay or gossip. Know the facts before we make any judgment or decision on our next action. So Mordecai makes a wise decision to report it to the right people, the people who can actually do something about it. He speaks to Esther who is the queen and is able to advise the king in our lives. Let's ensure that we always speak to the right people at the right time, with the right words, with the right story, so that we can get the right outcome. And Mordecai makes this wise decision. 
And what happens, he prevents the king's murder, and Esther ensures to give credit to the right person. And this will be very significant later on in the story. Action is required. Don't let it lie. In our lives, there are going to be times where we need to take action when we hear about something and know about something. It's very important that we bring it before God and do something about it. A crucial conversation is what we like to call it. Who likes confrontation here? Who likes having a good, strong, I disagree with you, you disagree with me, let's have a conversation? Oh, no, I don't like that myself, to be honest. But in life, we do have to have crucial conversations to be able to move forward in certain areas of our lives. And it isn't always pretty, it isn't always easy, but it is very important before God to do that. Crucial conversation. I remember listening to the book that John Maxwell wrote, Winning with People. When I say listen, I like listening to books rather than reading them. I just find, you know, I just enjoy it more. Anyway, John Maxwell says a little bit in, in his book about when he was an early, early wed in his marriage. You know, he loves his wife, Margaret. Margaret loves him. And early in their um, relationship, how they would discuss and talk, and sometimes there'd be differences of opinion, and they would, you know, talk about things. And what he said was happening over time. He was realizing that Margaret was getting quieter and quieter and switching off and, and closing down, like emotionally and in their conversation. And what was happening is in the chats and the conversations, John would always want to win the argument, the point, come out on top, make his opinion known, and wanted to win the conversation, which might be very nice for him, but he, was real, he hadn't realized how he was trampling the emotions of his wife and squashing her down in that situation. Now, he's very open and honest, and this is all in the book, so I'm not, like, I'm not like, talking about the situation. He does it to illustrate the fact that in our conversations, that we're kind with one another. We appreciate one another's opinions. We're not always going to have the same opinion, but you know, it is important that we don't crush each other emotionally or relationally. We, you know, we don't always have to win the argument to move forward. And John you know, explains it much better than I do. And he recently enjoyed um, his 50th wedding anniversary in 2019. So that's nice. So obviously they worked through it and they understood one another. And she said to him, look, when we have these conversations, you always win the argument, you're crushing me, et cetera, et cetera. And they decided to move forward and he learned his lesson, et cetera, et cetera. So that, is that okay? Right. So there's a seed of doing right in our lives. And it might take a while to come into fruition. We're always challenged in our lives to do right because, you know, God is into that, you know, being, having integrity, doing the right thing. And here we see Mordecai doing the right thing when it came to sorting out the situation and bringing things into the light. And we can trust in God, and, and Mordecai trusted in God, and he made sure his conscience was clear. And it kind of reminds me as well, is to protect law and order in life, you know, respect for authority is very important. It's there right in the beginning when we think of God's heart for honoring our mother and our father. There is this honor, honor to authority. When we just got to look at, you know, our media these days and, you know, the, the, there's protests, etc. You know, things have to be done in the right way. And we are, it is very important to call in upon our lives to honor authority, to pray for those in leadership because they've got a difficult job. You know, obviously, 
it's important to have the, the God side of it and to be praying for the good things and, and the good things of God to be outworked in life. So Mordecai was going for it. So that's kind of our introduction to him. So as we read on in Esther chapter 3, King Xerxes honors a man named Haman. Da, da, da. Right, good sound effects there. I thought it was pretty good. Right then. So Haman, powerful, wealthy, a prominent official, carried clout. He was the most important man next to the king. So in life, there's opportunities for everyone, isn't there, to, to have some sort of um, authority, I suppose, or you, know, you can shape other people, you can have influence. And for each of us, there's certain people that we have influence with and over and, and alongside. And it's important, I believe, to, to do that in a good way. So Haman, he's, you know, he's reached these levels of authority. <clears throat> he's the <clears throat> most important man next to the king. And he has special access to the king. He's trusted. He has the king's ear. The man who has everything. Now, is this success? Who knows? There was one tiny provo- provocation in him as well. I got to go off the, excuse me a moment, online. Take a little break. Talking too much, I'm used to this. So, there's one provocation, I can't say that word, in Haman's world, Mordecai. And he's at the gate, and there's this thing that Haman wanted people to bow to him, to expect and, you know, love his authority and who he was as a person. And it does stick out when you read the book, he's just like a really proud guy using it for himself, the success, the prominence, etc., etc. Not realizing the importance of like servanthood and blessing other people and looking out for the, the broader, wider good and serving. So anyway, so he is really annoyed at the fact that Mordecai will not bow to him. Well, of course, Mordecai is a godly man and he will serve and only bow to the king who is the Lord, the, the Lord, his king, and his heart and his lifestyle and his way of doing things and who he was as a person. His worship was to God and God only. He was not prepared to bow to Haman. So this winds Haman up a treat. He's so provoked that he makes a plan to kill Mordecai, finish him off, but not only that, to destroy the race, to wipe out the Jews, and he stirs up trouble for the Jews. He speaks to the king, and he gets the king to sign a law to wipe out the Jews. Now, this kind of idea, this kind of hatred and what he wanted to do, this was like encouraged by his family. So that those closest to him were like with him in this like twisted kind of tale of wanting to kill off people and finish off Mordecai. And there's this collaboration amongst the family to do bad. And between them, they plan and realize, you know, you could build like a high gallows, like a 25-meter gallows in the garden to hang Mordecai. Or other translations also talk about impaling him on a pole. What is it with all this impaling on poles? What is wrong with these people? Anyway, they basically wanted his downfall. All right, and of course the whole kind of his people as well. A total out of proportion response to what was going on. Very extreme, don't you think? Because someone won't bow to you. Therefore, I'm going to kill you and all your people. Can you imagine that? That is like, what is wrong with you? You are very twisted. Anyway, so his family encourage him, and they want to get revenge. 
and it's totally out of proportion. And this is like a warning to us all. Revenge is not a healthy solution in life. Things can be going right in our lives, all good, and then one or two things kind of get on our nerves, and then we want to make that annoyance count and really go for that person and kind of attack them and make their world a misery. But of course, for us, there's this godly character that he wants to develop in our lives, and that's the character of forgiveness and not revenge. Now, there is always going to be people walking across the face of the earth who are just bad news, all right? And we have to be very wary. But let's have an attitude of forgiveness in our lives and in our hearts, and especially when people are our friends, our family, those close to us who may like wind us up from time to time, or there may be a conversation where we kind of upset one another. But forgiveness is the decision to forgive and to move on and to get on with life. And of course, there's different seriousnesses of things which can be done to us, etc., etc. So it's just to be wise in what we do when we forgive and how we move on from that situation. I quite like, I've heard a new phrase, all right? Now, this may not be news or new. It's called casting shade on someone. Have you heard that before? Casting shade on someone. Any youngsters here today, you heard of casting it. Put your hands up, please, so I've got an idea of who I'm talking to in the room. Everyone under the age of 25 has put their hands up. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I don't know. I'm not even... Casting shade is when you, like, disrespect someone or you're ridiculing them, and they're like, I'm going to cast my shade upon you. I heard it in this very modern song that I listen to now when I'm doing the housework. It's actually called Housework. It's a very modern song. And when I do in a house, like I play it, house, you know, and it's really catchy. I mean, I don't know about the lyrics, whether they're totally sound, but it gets me in the groove for doing housework. Anyway, in the part of that, it talks about casting shade. So let's try not to cast shade on people, but let's reflect the light and goodness of God instead. How's that sound? Good? Craig Groeschel talks in his series on forgiveness, two great thoughts. And uh, Sarah actually helped me a lot in some of this talk here, where I pull some of your talk. You don't mind me using some of this material, do you? It's really good. Craig Rochelle uses two thoughts. Life is too short to let the small things rob you of peace. Forgiveness is a gift to us. Forgive and be free. I like that thought, forgiveness as being a gift. That's a really good thing, because we can be givers of forgiveness, like give you know, a gift, and also we can be receivers of forgiveness. Because, I don't know about you, but I mess up from time to time, believe it or not, and so do you, I'm sure. But when someone comes to us and, look, challenges us, and we realize, and we apologize, and there's this forgiveness, there's this, there's this goodness, there's this lubrication in a relationship. That, yes, we're on the same team. We want the best things. We, we're looking for the same goal in life, to enjoy it as much as we can, and to be happy, and to have relational goodness. So forgiveness is a great gift for us. So don't ask... How much does that person deserve forgiveness? It's ask also, how much freedom do I desire? So in this natural life of having a habit of having an attitude of forgiveness, we're actually creating freedom in our minds and in our thinking, in our lives. Because, you know, sometimes when things hurt us, we can take that with us for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and you've lived 30, 40 years of living life with a grudge and an anger and an unforgiveness which has played on our minds and made us upset and made us angry and made us hurt, and it's not good for us. So there's this gift of forgiveness, and 
Sometimes we need God's help in that situation to be able to continue on that journey and ask his help in it. So, moving on. Haman has the highest position in the country. It's not enough for him, and everyone is to bow to him, his self-importance. This celebrity status on steroids. And for us, other people's lives are always in our faces in life. You know, celebrity, etc. whether into sports or into music or into whatever, okay? Celebrity status is always in front of us, and we like to decide and judge upon a person's life, okay? And the media is on to people. So Haman has this kind of status now. And his anger has taken him into a dark place. He's ambitious. He's glory-seeking. It's all for personal power. And he's abusing his position of power, plotting to destroy the Jews for a personal slight against him. So instead of serving others, it's now all about self-service. Now, there's one thing we can grasp in life, in our journey of life, is what does God kind of fashion within us to serve other people. Now, this may be loving and caring for a family member. This may be like volunteering in the local charity shop. This may be doing errands for a neighbor who's struggling. This may be, you know, putting an arm around someone in your small group, friendship group, who are struggling at this moment. Something's happened and, you know, they're struggling. What are the things that God has put within us to serve other people? Of course, there was times was in the New Testament where the disciples wanted to be great and be at Jesus' right hand, etc., etc., etc. But we recognize Jesus' love and service when he washes the disciples' feet, doesn't he? He said, well, look, if you want to be great in the kingdom, this is what you do. You humble yourself completely and you serve other people. That is the way to go. That's the way to do it. It's not about self-service and, you know, how big we can grow in our power and esteem, etc., etc. But can we be grassroots people who serve one another? And it's important to do that. So the deed is signed, the king signs it, and there is a time in place to slaughter all the Jews across the empire. Mordecai was seeking to honor God only and not to honor the pride of Haman. So you have this vice versa scenario. And disaster is looming. Okay, so in leadership positions, I was fortunate enough during my kind of time in engineering, from the age of 16 to the age of 37, in those 21 years, I, I reckon I had about 10 managers in that time. Okay, and when I look back, I, I've half forgotten about what I did in engineering. You know, who cares, putting that with plastic and metal, etc. You know, that's how I look back at it. But, you know, God does equip engineers to make life better, you know, and more experience. We can use gadgets and things and drive cars, etc., and go on planes and traffic lights work and all that kind of stuff. So there's a place and position. But for me, it's all been about relationship. It's all been about those managers. Is how do they treat their employees? How do they treat their team members? How do they treat the other departmental managers? And that is what has stuck with me about each person. And if I used to write a list, I'd say, oh, yeah, so-and-so. You'd always used to ask me about my family, and he was great to work with. And, you know, when we chatted about a difficult thing or a, or a target date we were trying to get to, we'd always work it through together as a team. And it was like this bond and camaraderie between our team. And then there was other managers who were, like, aloof, um, dictator-ish, put you down, I'd see him putting other people down, having arguments with other departmental managers. Now, like I said earlier, everyone has an opportunity for leadership or opportunity for serving other people. 
but it's not what you do, it's the way that you do it. Isn't it? Do you want to sing that song for me? No. Um, so, where are we in that journey? Are we treading on people to get there? Or are we helping and serving and equipping people and strengthening them to get there? In any organization, there are company goals. In church, there are company goals. There's church goals to honor God with all our heart, soul, and strength, to make disciples out of people, to explain the good news of Jesus, to baptize people, to teach them about the grace and the forgiveness and the kindness of God. Those are company goals amongst the church, to love our children, to honor our elderly, to get alongside one another, to encourage one another when times are tough, to teach, to equip, to motivate, to help, to serve, to see those struggling in poverty and difficulty, to be raised out of that and to have integrity and worth and belonging. Company goals of the church. And each of us has a little part to play in that. Mutual respect and blessing one another. And Haman kind of lost the plot, but Mordecai was on the ball, which is the theme of the story. Okay, we're bringing it into a close now. Are you with me so far? Yeah? Good, good. If there's any part of your body that needs stretching, do it now. Okay, so next little bit. So one night, the king can't sleep. Isn't good sleep nice? Anybody enjoy good sleep? Yeah, but the king can't sleep on this particular night. And he says, in that time, gets one of his people along, bring me the records. And he has this list of records of things which have happened in his kingdom. And he discovers the foiled assassination plot. And he's reminded of Mordecai's integrity and faithfulness to him. Is this a God moment where the king has been woken from his sleep and he just does not have peace? Is God onto him? What reward did I give Mordecai? And he's reminded that he didn't actually give a reward. And at that moment, he sees Haman in the court and asks, what glory for the man the king loves to honor? And Haman assumes it can only be about him, totally absorbed in himself, and it's all about me. Well, the best robes and the best horse and be paraded through the town, that is the thing to do. Yes, says the king, you lead Mordecai. And there's public humiliation for Haman. And Mordecai's actions are about to be glorified. So there's this turning of the tables. There is a change taking place. And God is at work. And for that to happen, Mordecai, earlier on in the story, had to have that integrity and take the risk and do what, what is right. And then there are God moments in life where changes can take place and events can turn around, etc. But for us, what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is honor God and do the right thing and develop our character and look at our lifestyles and ask God, you know, God, can you help me in this and that and the other? And help me, Lord, to do the right thing. Even though it's not always the easiest thing, help me, Lord, to do the right thing before you. And here we read in this part of the story, Mordecai is now getting like the glory for doing the right thing. Not that he wanted it, but it was happening anyway. So Mordecai now receives the thanks and honor for his previous actions. He's sown faithfully in Esther's life, 
in his community work and now his prominence in and around the king because of his actions. So Mordecai has already understood it's not, just, it's not about him, but it's about paving the way of success and blessing for other people. And of course, now he had to look out for the Jews, the Jewish nation, you know, what was going to happen next to them. Now, being generous, the Bible teaches us so much about sowing generously with our lives, sowing generously with our time, with our faith, with our giving, with our witness, with our service. It's important to recognize those things, to sow well. And we're called as a people, no matter what work or service or kindness that we're giving out, there is one thing God calls. He says, whatever it is you do with your life, with the giftings I've given you, with who you are as a person, all individuals, all different, all different personalities, whatever it is you decide to do and go for, do it for the glory of God. Do it for God's glory. The little things, the little things in our service even in the mediocre, you know, in, the, in those things, I spend quite a lot of my time, I've spoken this before, but cleaning toilets. I do a lot of that in my job function, in my house function, for some reason. And whenever I'm there with a the scrubbing brush, I'm always reminded about doing the small things well. And it's like, yeah, it's kind of character building, isn't it? When you're doing those little things and you're doing them well, like, do everything for the glory of God. Why not? Why not scrub the, you know the dishes well for the glory of God, or whatever it is we're doing in our life, do it for the glory of God, whatever job function, whatever love we're giving to other people. Let's read some verses. Rob, if you wouldn't mind putting up for me those um, verses, please. Thank you. So here's some examples about sowing well with our lives. And there they are. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. A wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and shows his righteousness on you. And whoever shows injustice reaps calamity. So you kind of get this theme with Haman and Mordecai, the whole thing of how we sow our lives and what happens after that. Okay. So, moving on to the very last page of my notes, page six, that is the least amount of notes I've ever used in my life. So here we go, the last little bit. Haman runs home, and his family, who were egging him on to do the damage, kind of prophesy his doom now, which is, that's nice of them, Esther six. But Haman rushes home with his head covered in grief, and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him, the whole thing about Mordecai, etc. His advisors and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. So, this now paves the way for the next part of the story. We find out, well, what's going to happen now to the Jewish nation with this signed edict that they can be wiped out and annihilated? What happens to Haman now that his actions have been kind of found out? And what is going to happen next? The table is turning. Mordecai is in a position of being distressed. Although he's been led through the streets, etc., his, you know, there's this 
edict upon his people, the ones he loves and serves. What is going to happen to them? Esther, what is her role in the story? What is going to happen with her, the queen? There is disaster pending for somebody. So, I'll just finish with this last verse from 4.14, and then Sean will be taking up the next part of the story next week. It's Mordecai speaking to Esther. If you keep quiet at this time, someone else will help and save the Jewish people, but you and your father's family will all die. Okay? So, are you excited for next week? Is there anyone you already said, I'm definitely not coming next week? <laughs> watch online, if that's the case. So that's what's going to happen next week. So let's pray, and we'll close it for today. Yes, yeah, so we thank you that in this story of Esther, there are many things that we can know about, you know, doing the right thing at the right time, making the right decisions, having those conversations which will help us in life. Teach us again, Lord, to know the impact and strength of forgiveness in our lives, that in our relationships, we want to be part of the same team and to honor you in our lives, Lord, to respect one another and to move forward. We want to pray, Lord, for our leaders in this country and across the globe who have positions of power, who can make decisions. And we continue to pray for them, Lord, that they would know wisdom and do the right thing in their actions and in the teams they belong to, Lord. So we thank you, Lord, and we honor you, Lord, today and ask you more and more for your love, your forgiveness, your peace, and your joy in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, God.